0: You're listening to this foul earth. Well, you know, I I took over as the grave digger when my father packed it in about uh, twenty years ago. God rest him. It's not like he was then, you know. I I does yeah, I does uh, does the bond. I do uh, langanach and I do cosignin. Those are the three I do. My old man, he only did here. he only did the bunt, and he was good, you know. He'd be around every day. He'd prune the bushes, look around the edges, he'd edge the paths, polish the tombstones. You could have eaten your dinner for tombstone when he was here. I do feel bad that I haven't the time these days to focus on just the one site, you know. I know it's fallen off since I took over, but I do try and keep it nice with what time I got, you know, because I I know what he means to the community, you know. My dad loved it though. Michael Morgan, Iron Mike, they called him. He's buried up the back there with my mother. They died uh, two days apart. That was the hardest dig in my career, that was. He just had a passion for it, you know. And as I said, he had the time. Superhuman endurance and determination, he had. He'd spend all day digging a grave sometimes. And these graves, sometimes, they were 30 foot deep. I've got his rope ladder. Still, it was 40 foot long. And there was mud on every inch of the rope. He had the nickname, actually. He was known as the Gravedigger of Gangland. Do you know why? There was a spot of gang trouble around here in the 50s and 60s. And if a person of interest got bumped off, you know, if they committed suicide by shooting themselves twice in the back of the head with their hands tied, that sort of thing, the gangs, well, the gangs would pay off the coroner to wave it through and get him in the ground as soon as they could, you know. And the coroners, they were all on the take in those days. They used to say, if you're planning on dying, make sure you take your rings off first, because they'd have them off you. And that's true, mate. Well, eventually, you know, the coroner, they'd get nabbed for something, because they were all bloody bent as a branch in the wind. And the police would say, right, all these bodies, they need to be exhumed, all the ones connected with this coroner, you know. Well, the ones my old man had done, after a couple of days, they'd sack it off. Wasn't worth the trouble, they said. There's a few men I can think of walking free, because of my old man. I used to come up here with him when i was a kid i can't say i've got the love of it in my art like he did but it's been quite a good career you know peaceful lots of outdoors time it's been a fine living i mean no boy dreams of being a grave digger do they but i remember seeing the satisfaction my old man got from it and i think i've had a bit of that as well you know i just like spending time with him mind you know my old man was a character he wasn't very good with kids but he was a fantastic dad to me and my sister I remember, when I was about, I don't know, that big, they had a careers day at school and all the boys, they had to bring a parent in to talk about their jobs and some boys' fathers, they were solicitors, they were architects, one of the girls, her dad was the MP and my dad, well, he didn't know how to tone it down for the kids, see, and one of the girls said, oh, what happens if somebody gets buried alive, right, and he said, even if we did hear you, it would take us so long to get you out that you've choked to death. He said, I bury him deeper than the dinosaurs, he said. And at the end of it, he says, Thank you, boys and girls, and I'll see you all very soon. Well, you should have heard the screaming. He didn't mean anything nasty by it. you know. I know what he meant by it, but he spent all day with adult corpses, not living kids. You know, it was a totally different world. But he did it, you know. He came to the school, even though he didn't want to. He was a fine man. He was a good father. He'd do anything for us, he would. But he didn't come here to talk about them did you you came here to hear about Bren, said pretty bastard well I was uh, i was doing my rounds a bit about sort uh, about i don't know 2002 about 20 years ago now Bryn Johnston. He was fifty five then. He went to sleep in his armchair one night. Wife comes down the next morning. He's died in the night. She screams the place down, right? I heard it. I'm not far from Bryn. I live in Indy. They take him away. They had the autopsy. His type in went missing. Just saying. Colonel see. It's just in their nature, right? But anyway. Whole town's out, right? We all knew him. I stuck him in the ground. Another hard one. Bryn was a good man, you know. He ran the butcher's shop, right? He had a bit of uh Bit of small man complex about him, you know what I mean? We used to wind him up down the pub about that, you know? He was always doing um, calisthenics and all that to try and bulk up. But some people just, you know, they try as they might, you know, it just doesn't happen for them, does it? You know? Well, we would gently suggest that the true objective measure of strength is if you can do a push-up so hard that it launches you up in the air. And I don't mean, you know, that you right yourself I mean, that you actually go up in the air, you know, a couple of metres, perhaps. And he'd be up there half an hour, trying to do the hardest push-ups he could. He was sick, and we'd say, hard luck, Bryn. We nearly had it, you know, maybe tomorrow. He would have never done it if he lived another 50 years. But we used to like watching him try, especially before the rugby club got Sky Sports. I wouldn't say quick to anger, but he was, you know, he was like a little happy dog, you know. He wouldn't leave anything alone. Well, a couple of days later... I'm touching up the grave and I swear I can hear something. Like, scratching almost, you know. Dead faint, but it sounded like it was coming from under the ground. I thought, shit. So I go down the lodge and I get Martin. He's the one who opened the gates for you this morning. I said, come and have a listen to this. And he says, oh, fuck. Well, we'll have to get down there. But I thought you can't just, you know. But if there is someone alive down there, we haven't got a lot of time. So I said, you call the police and I'll start digging just in case, right? Well, the rosers turn up, and he said, you can't do this. Well, I had him listen, and he said, crack on, right? Well, we get down to the coffin, we open the lid, and we, uh... <gasps> he was alive, gasping for breath, like that, right? He says, you bloody bury me and here, you bastards. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, you've got some explaining to do as well, mind you. Is that what it's come bloody come to around here? He says, right? Man has a 10-minute kip in his armchair, wakes up buried, buried in the grave. Where's my bloody type in? he was sore about that well once he'd heard the whole story that he'd been dead for 10 days buried for 3 he was absolutely chuffed but the thing is now he thinks wrongly in my view that he's not going to die he says well I've already died see and you only die once and I've done it so they did tests on him afterwards and he wasn't dead he'd slipped into a coma he was still alive but he was living so slowly that it couldn't be measured you know his heart slowed right down, so even the doctor who certified the death Mister, But he wouldn't have any of that. He says it's because he kept himself in such amazing physical condition. And, you know, I, I don't mean to speak out of line, right? It happens to us all. He was in fairly tidy shape back in the day, you know? He was on the cricket team and all that. But middle age doesn't come alone, does he? He tried, oh my God, he tried to sell exercise tapes. These videos, right? The Beat Death Workout, yeah? He made them at home and he was trying to sell them down the boot sale across hands every other Sunday, telling people he'd beaten death with this workout routine. I don't think he sold many of them. A few of us bought one, and, well, we wouldn't tell him this, but oh, we had a good laugh at it. I clawed my way out of my own grief. he said. Well, I thought you cheeky bastard, I brought my back to ignore there, and you hadn't even torn the inner lining of your casket, you know, I hadn't even ripped the cloth. I never took him to task to that, because, you know, what's to be gained. And it's not like we were humouring him you know, we were all telling him, because he did get quite down for a while, you know, in the the weeks afterwards, you know, he was down the pub one evening, and he was telling us how hard it would be to watch us all die, you know, we told him that he wasn't immortal, that if anything, the coma likely meant he had some very serious undiagnosed health issues, but he wasn't having any of it, he is quite concerned about the climate now though, on account of him, you know, living forever, and enduring the planet overheating over the next 200 years, so he is putting the recycling bin out now, so I suppose that's he went down the Youth Climate March last year, but they kicked him out. He tried to explain it to him, but they weren't having it either. And you're, pro- oh, I d- you're probably wondering like I was, how did he survive the autopsy? Well, the copper, he even said to him, when he was wiping the mud off his suit, he said, you shouldn't be walking around. They, they disconnect everything when they check it out, don't they? Well, he opened his shirt, and you know that, that Y cut that they does on him? You know, it starts there, and then down the belly, I think. Connor, drawn it on, felt tip. And this is what I mean, right? They are, to a man, lazy, thieving bastards. Didn't even look at him, you know. But you ask the man on the street, what's the most corrupt profession going? Do you be a, you know, solicitor, politician, coroner. I'm telling you, it's always the coroners.